joined by Ryan Leslie, who does have the exact same barber that I have. When did you go with the Chrome Dome? When did this happen for you? Uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Said nobody ever. <laughs> uh, I was standing in line at a bank, Trent, uh, in line. And as you can imagine, there was a a surveillance monitor, you know, a security monitor in the top. And I sort of said, oh, look at that guy. He's losing. Oh, whoa, wait a tick. I was the one losing a few feathers. And uh, I was about 28, 29. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that it was as bad as it was. And uh, I was doing a race uh, out here in Alberta called the Great Canadian Death Race. And I was doing it with a bunch of buddies. And um I tried to kind of, you know, get the team on board. I'm like, guys, we should shave our heads as part of team unity. They're like, no, we're not doing that. Well, I'm doing it. I'm, so I'm going to take it down. And then, you know what? I just kept going tighter and tighter. I absolutely loved it. And, uh, and now it's just good in the pool, good in the room. Right. Good in the pool, good in the room. Mine was similar. I, uh, in university, had a full head of hair. Life was great. Bunch of buddies crushing some beers on the weekend. One guy buys a set of clippers. Bunch of drunk kids are like, hey, it'd be great to shave each other's heads. We do this. And I'm like, I kind of like this. This is no maintenance. <laughs> I haven't paid for a haircut yeah. since early 90s. Razor um, blades are a killer, though, aren't they? And they're a fortune, Ryan. They're a fortune. It's not just the best a man can get. It's the most expensive a man can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bite, yeah. <clears throat> point where you're like, ah, can I get a couple more shaves out of this one? Nah, it's starting to nick. It's time to... I'm bleeding. I have a but you know now. Now, now I'm. Uh, I'm kind of a consultant now for uh, certain players in the National Hockey League about when to maybe bring it down. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to brag, but uh, or toot my own horn, but beep beep. I uh, am pretty proud of the fact that I helped walk Matt Stajan through uh, um, that that time period in his life uh, about bringing it right down. And you know, he didn't go quite as tight as you and I at first. He kind of looked like an unkept tennis ball a little furry right. little monchi she something that didn't look <laughs> yeah. quite right and yeah. uh i said stage you gotta bring it down man you gotta bring it tight and he goes i can't <clears throat> my wife thinks i look like uh, jason statham i looked him up and down he's got a bag of milk for a body i said you so for, ever since then i'm like calling him matt statham because uh he honestly right. uh, was told some bad information thought he looked like jason statham did not look like Jason Statham, but yeah, now I, I, I like to try and help consult young guys as they lose it. No, it's like nice of you to help out people in the, the community, right? I mean, you're always giving back and that's just another way. It's awkward for some guys. Yeah. You're, you're, you're an unsung hero. Um, <laughs> so I'm assuming today, as we record this, you have already seen <clears throat> Daryl Sutter's first practice. Is that correct now? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I just came from there. Give, give me the, give me the scoop. On, uh, on the first practice with Daryl back in charge, and what's the vibe of that place right now? Daryl Sutter makes his return as the bench boss of the Calgary Flames. Those guys will sit up a little straighter. Uh, and it was a pretty brisk uh, practice, to be honest. It wasn't a long, drawn-out one. Daryl said it's the pace of play that he wants. Uh, go harder, not longer. And uh, there was about a three-minute accelerated skate for the boys near the end. And that was good. That sort of said, hey, this this is in my bag of tricks. I can make it go longer if you want. But it was an evaluation period trend. He was kind of having one-on-one -on -one meetings. He was chatting with guys as he, he let uh, Huskin and Edwards uh, run the practice, those assistant coaches. 
but he was kind of meeting with individuals, skating with them, chatting with them, going over expectations and the like. And, um, you know, there, there was a couple of guys missing. So uh, there was a small tinkering, nothing overly significant. You did see a, a guy in Brett Ritchie who would play with Monaghan and Gaudreau today. We'll see what that means going forward. But just everything was just initial, as you might imagine. The new teachers in town. I don't know how happy he was, but he did point out that um, <clears throat> Saturday's game against the Oilers, that first 20 minutes might have been the best period of hockey that he had seen anywhere this year. And so that kind of resonated because I think anybody who saw that on Hockey Night in Canada realized, oh, that was a pretty darn good period right there. A couple of fights, great tempo, great pace, great back and forth and goals. And then uh, the wheel fell off for Calgary, but um, but he liked that. So he's we're still in that. You know, everything's charming. Everything's wonderful right now. <laughs> Haven't played a game. They don't play till Thursday when they host the Montreal Canadiens. We'll see. One more day of practice after yesterday was a day off uh, for the team. And then uh, the sleeves are now officially rolled up. It's been interesting because, you know, I've lived in Calgary for 17 years. I've watched a lot of coaches come and go. But this group, yeah. uh, the core no group has had more thrust upon them in terms of potential and what they could do and can do, but yet they still have not, you know, broken through and got it done and had a deep playoff run, which I think is just the bare minimum at this point for this, for this group. And they've gone with, you know, the, uh, the teacher coach who's kind of just going to be a player's coach and help partly apparently was too harsh. So he's gone. And now we've kind of come full circle back again to like, Oh no, it's butt kicking time. Is that kind of, is that what you're, is that what you're kind of seeing? Oh well? yeah. I think that's spot on. It was funny. I spoke to one player the night after the news broke. I talked to a few, but the one comment stood out and he said, Oh yeah, you know what? We could use a little Bob Hartley back in our room. And I said, Bob Hartley scared of Daryl Sutter. So you guys have no idea. And, and I instantly put out there, buckle up. And that was neat. Cause Lucic and I were going back and forth and it just seems to fit. These guys better buckle up. Now, the key, or maybe not the key, but the interesting thing to look at, Trent, is how much time is left. And is the hole that they've dug so big that they can't get out of it, even Daryl? So are they going to play 700 hockey the rest of the way? They're struggling to play 500 hockey. Right. We're exactly. going to see. So, sure and he's here. He's got the rest of this year and two more. So we'll see what all translates to. But they've got some work to do. They do, to your point off the top, they've got some talent. They've got some pieces. But they have not achieved anything, and they know that. And it sort of feels like they're on the brink here right now. It felt like that yeah. prior to the coach being let go and a new one coming in, for sure. Well, I think, too, everyone's talking about this as well, is that it seems like it's, it is blow-up time. Like, if this does not, if this hire doesn't work, and that means blow-up time in the biggest sense in terms of, you know, what happens with Brad Tree Living, the general manager, um, uh, our, our major corners and pieces of that team getting shipped out. And so I think, and I asked, Stage actually was on the podcast earlier this, or, or uh, late last year, and I asked him about when you, the outside pressure and people are talking and do players know about that and feel that? And he goes, oh yeah. He was like, we know, you know, there's a window of time in order to get the job done. And you kind of feel that every single day. And I think this group now, if you're not aware that, hey, it's, it is time, I think, the appointment of Daryl Sutter is, is, is clear to everyone. It is time. Yeah. And again, I don't think they felt the wrath. They've had some conversations with him. They've now had a practice under the belt. They'll get one more. 
but uh, this this will change. Uh, you know, this will be unlike any coach if they haven't had him before, and only Milan Lucic has. Uh, uh, Mark Giordano had him briefly early on in his career. I want to say seven games. Um, you know, Michael Backlund had him as a general manager. Um, so there's some familiarity. It's funny you mentioned Stage because Daryl traded for Matt Stage and to right. come to Calgary. And then it was Brent who didn't play him. So there was, <laughs> right. there was all kinds of neat little connect. He goes, yeah, Daryl brought me in and Brent Shut didn't around. play me. So it was great. But um, yeah, these guys got a real idea coming. Uh, if they don't, if, they've certainly read it again in some of those conversations I had with the players that night. A couple of them look, were looking at YouTube videos and they're like, is this guy for real? I, I guess he's, he's got a, you know, he, this guy's something else. And I said, well, yeah, you, you, you'll see, you'll see if yeah. you don't play well, you will see accountability, some clarity and some work. The big thing I've heard people talk about um, is I, I think um, Brett Warner talked a little about it, is that it's the man management. It's the ability to get the most of each individual guy and go, are you ready to go tonight? And, and knowing what buttons, mm-hmm. what buttons to push Commodore's been on the podcast. He's talked about how sometimes mm-hmm. it's like saying something just to give you a little spur and you kind of get ticked off, but it does make you play better. And so I think there will be a little bit of that stuff and, and players react to that stuff differently. Some guys can take it. Some guys can't. And I think we're about to find out who can and who can't. Yeah. And I think Daryl's got to figure out how to push the proper buttons too. It's a different era than when he was coaching. Now he has still stayed in the game most recently with Anaheim. Um, and I mean, just, you know, not that long ago. So, but to, to be in touch and to communicate the way you've got to do certain things will work and certain things won't, as we all know, we all grow. He's not the same person he was 15 plus years ago. We, none of us were, but uh, he's certainly smart enough to know how to adjust. He is firm, um, but certain players will go through walls for him because of the way he treats them. Um, we'll see how it all translates. It's, the clock is ticking. Something dramatic had to be done. Something dramatic was done. Can he get more out of this group where some character issues, some, you know, just some uh, consistency issues. It's just been a little too easy for a little too long. And you mentioned how long you were here. Um, I've been here since 96. We've not seen much. The 04 run was a long time ago and you still didn't come home with it. And uh, that was the great line that Daryl had in his opening press conference. You know, there's some unfinished business. So we'll see if he's the guy to dig him out. He's got this year and two more. You know, he wants to, you know, find some results sooner rather than later because of those changes that you alluded to. Yeah, for sure. I think, too, when I, when I think of this group, you know, what they've gone through as a group over the last couple of years, like there's been a lot of coaches coming through. And you wonder, yeah. Coaches, wonder- coaches gone, some controversy. 107-point season combined with a first-round teeth-kicking by Colorado, the ins and outs of the postseason, thinking that you're maybe better than you really were. So how do you stay at a high level when you're not playing the way you want? This group has seen a lot. The exit of Bill Peters. I mean, Milan Lucic said it the other day. This is my third coach. I've been here a year and a half. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it's 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 a lot for a group to take in, but I think yeah, there there is this point now, like it's time to get it done, or or, or things are getting blown up, and, and I'm sure everyone's very very well about so where where that. So I want to get into. We already know where the hair thing started, Ryan, but 
Tell me, take me back to, to uh, a younger Ryan Leslie. Where do you grow up? What's the scene? What are you into? What's school like for wow. you? Let me know. Let me know. What's going on? All right. <clears throat> I grew up in a great little beach town called Port Dover and Port Ryersey, little uh, on the shores of Lake Erie. Uh, Port Ryersey is just a little village. Not a stoplight, not a store. Port Dover was a one stoplight town. Still go back there every year. I take my two daughters. Uh, we go. It's heaven on earth in the summer. Uh, we're talking about like who's there. Uh, <clears throat> Ryan Vandenbush, Rob Blake's from there. Uh, Jason Cullimore, I went to high school with, and he won a Stanley Cup with Tampa. Um, you know, you'll see some really good uh, people from that area. It's a proud area. It's a it's a great little spot on the map, and anybody who ever gets a chance to go there will tell you the same. Um, real quiet in the winters, but amazing in the summer. And uh, so, but then I transferred up to Owen Sound, where I was actually born, uh, Owen Sound, Ontario. Uh, finished up high school there. Wanted to play at a pretty high level basketball uh, with an with a team there that was pretty good. And you know, more importantly, I think I was just trying to get my grades in order and play some basketball and see where it could take me. Ended up going to college in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, was a walk on there. And then I, and then I'll never forget this moment. Uh, a really good guard, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. It's been so long. Transfers from Carlton. Well, Carlton is a basketball powerhouse. Yeah. I let myself out. I said, as, and I would. I had been playing well, and I knew it was over. So the dream died there. Um, I wasn't going to the NBA after all, being five nine and change. Um, so, uh, finished up uh, in broadcast journalism, did an internship at Eastern Michigan university where I was able to work with the NCAA and the men's, uh, first and second round of the, uh, of the March madness, the tournament. So that was great for me because I loved, you know, it was the only, uh, recruitment letter I ever got in my career was from Eastern Michigan. I felt so good and I dug it out. Okay. Numbers there. I'll give them a call. So they took <laughs> me on. And as a young guy, you wanted to. You wanted to get some experience somewhere. Um, this is before the internet, mind you. Um, so it wasn't like I was having these types of things. Isn't this great to be able to have this? At, you know, Amazing. I wish I had this as a kid. Um, then I uh, was kind of spinning my tires back in Port Dover, not really knowing where it would go. So I uh, moved up to Thunder Bay, Ontario to see a buddy and his wife. I was there about six months uh, <clears throat> just uh, slinging drinks and kind of figuring out what comes next, as a lot of us young men try to figure out. And uh, they got the worst winter they had in 60 years. So I called up a college teammate and said, uh, or uh, sorry, a college roommate and uh, said that, uh, hey, I got to get out of here. The, the winter's killing me here. And I'm, you know, and I just gone through on sound. But uh, so we packed up his 1982 Hyundai pony and, uh, and we drove west. He said, I got a sister in Calgary. We can stay there if we got nowhere else to go. So we hopped in. He came and got me. He was in Texas, drove all the way to Thunder Bay. We went from Thunder Bay across the prairies. February or March, it was minus 62 in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. Car dies. We've got about, I don't know, I think I only had a couple hundred bucks to my name at the time. Really good at saving. And uh, <laughs> so we had a decision to make as I flagged down a, a trucker on the side of the Trans Canada in minus 62. He pulls over with a a uh, toothbrush in his mouth and says, what can I do for you? And our car was dead. So he took <laughs> us to, uh, to this local town, Portage La Prairie. And we had a decision to make. Do we, you know, just jump on a bus or do we spend the 400 bucks on a used transmission and keep rolling? So we did that. And we rolled into town with no dough and, you know, got a job uh, in a restaurant. I, you know, did that type of stuff for a long time. And then um, it's interesting. I had a friend, uh, 
that I worked with, uh, her dad was pretty up high up at this uh, at Shaw TV, and said, "I'm happy to put a whoops." Wow, just like that. Sorry, I had a phone Shaw call. I had a phone Shaw. call there. Yeah, cut my cable off. Heard that, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> they didn't want, didn't want. Okay, that's the same guy that works it. <laughs> cut that off. <clears throat> but this is good because, you know, I, I go through it. I do an interview. I have no idea what I'm doing, Trent. None. You know, like things have changed. I've been out of the game. I don't know what's going on. So she says, hey, uh, did you ever hear back about an interview? And I said, no, I didn't. But thanks for putting me in touch. I sent in my resume and whatever else I had. It was probably on you know, written with crayon, embarrassing. <laughs> and, uh, so I said, no, next day phone call. I'm like, Hey, all right. So have the conversation. Great. All right. Um, get an interview. All right. Do the interview. You know, it's like the class. Why such a big suit? You know, the things just <laughs> hanging off me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I had hair at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. It was around mm-hmm. around the time. No, yeah, it was around. No, I don't even know if I did. Doesn't matter. Um, but um, I don't hear anything for like a month. And she says, "Did you ever hear back?" I said, "No, I didn't." But again, appreciate the opportunity. That was great. Well, sure enough, next day the phone call comes in. Uh, we'd like to offer you a job. I mean, this girl that I worked with just got things done. Yeah, yeah. And so I got the gig, and I was terrible and cable it was cable access so you're doing like meet steve he got a new pair of rubber boots that he wants to donate you know this was hard-hitting <laughs> news it was it was believable and here's how you can donate rubber boots if yeah, you yeah. don't use them anymore like or yeah. so <clears throat> anyhow i get the gig i'm thrilled absolutely thrilled but i'm so bad at it i don't know what to do i don't know transcribing clips most stories on tv are a minute and a half i'm using i don't even know how to formulate a story my stories are like eight minutes long like you, you gotta cut this down have you never seen tv before so <clears throat> i think it was day two of the job this cameraman finally just pulls over and says all right i gotta ask are you a corporate spy and I went, what are you talking about and i said I, he goes well the boss was told everybody here that uh, that they were told basically to give you the job. And uh, plus you're just so bad at it that we thought maybe you've come from corporate to keep an eye on everybody. Can you imagine? So for the next week, I just walk around, I just walk around everybody like this making. And what is it you do here? Okay. Making notes. Yeah. Uh, you always put your feet up on the desk. Okay. You know, just little things like that. So, oh man, it was something else. It was quite an experience. I, I'll never forget, you know, certain things like when I, I had uh, Calgary police service for a story, they were beefing up the strength of their pepper spray. So I do the story. And at the end I said, okay, well, have you got any training video of you? pepper spraying officers. We don't have it. We don't have video. I said, okay. So I said, do it. I had the police pepper spray me for a story. It would never go to air because they were so worried that it would be gratuitous and people would cancel their cable subscriptions. It was unbelievable. I went, my eyes are forever altered because of this. And you're not even going to run the damn thing. Edgy TV. So, Leslie, I love it. Really? I was just pushing it. So from there I thought, oh boy, this could be where I end up staying or I don't know what's going to happen, but I did, uh, I did, you know, create a demo and I was taking other jobs and 
you know, university and uh, Calgary hitman. And I was just trying to load up on jobs. And I'll never forget this Grant Pollock one day, who was a local legend here in Calgary, uh, Alberta Sports Hall of Famer, longtime broadcaster and host of the Flames, came to me and said at the University of Calgary, hey, would you like a job? And I said, yeah, I would. And he goes, well, here's the details. And I said, I don't care. So I quit like three or four jobs just to go work with him. And I was a reporter and an evening anchor um, for sports. And that was the first true on-air sports gig that I got. And he taught me a lot about television, taught me how to tell stories. You know, you don't go to the undefeated high school football team. You go to the 0-11 high school football team. And that's where you get your juice. And you, you craft stories. And from there, I am uh, forever grateful to him. And I created a demo reel. I offered a guy a pack of backwoods and a big bottle of booze. And I uh, said, can you create me a, uh, a demo reel? And sure enough, within a couple of days, Sportsnet called me and I worked for Sportsnet for about five years, anchoring and reporting and kind of bouncing around as a swing guy. And I had some really great opportunities. You know, I, I covered uh, the Jays and Yankees in New York. You know, I'd never done baseball before. I covered soccer in Mexico and had to avoid, you know, gunfire and bags of bile being thrown at you. And it was, it's, wow. you know, then you drop into hockey series. And, you know, a lot of times I was anchoring in Toronto and then coming back after a couple of weeks. So it was a lot of experience. It was a wild ride. And then I went from there, uh, they transferred me to Toronto full time and I just couldn't be away from my kids. So after a few months, I said, Hey, there's an opening gig on Sportsnet radio in Calgary. Can I apply and I ended up getting it. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that. The radio was not my bag, baby. Um, and so after a year, they whacked me. And uh, then I joined the flames for five years. Amazing. And that was where things really, you know, you think you know a lot about sports or hockey until you work for an organization and then you see it. And then the curtains pulled back and you really learn. And it was wonderful. Um, every step has taught you a lot in everybody's career, but that was a neat one. And then uh, when Roger Millions was thinking of retiring, uh, I did all the road games along with my Flames TV uh, duties. He just stayed home. And then after that, he was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm retiring. And I was fortunate enough to get the job back with Sportsnet and, uh, and host the Flames for, I don't know, maybe it's been three or four years. Amazing. And that's been great. And one of the neat moments that I'll share with you too was uh, we were in St. Louis and uh, I get the call from Toronto to say, and I was just in the lobby waiting for one of the Flames PR guys, Sean Kelso. And, you know, I get the call to say, hey, we'd like you to host Hockey Night in Canada uh, in November. And, uh, and it was the Battle of Alberta. I'm quickly looking at the schedule. Wow, my God. And We'd like you to host After Hours as well, which was, oh, as most people know, uh, the show that Scott Oak uh, hosts beautifully. He had some commitments. And uh, so I remember walking to the St. Louis rink. I was almost fighting back tears because, you know, in your profession, you always want to get to the top. Right. And for me, yeah. that was it. And you think about the road that it took to get you there. And then all of a sudden, one day your phone rings. And Kels was Sean Kels was with me and he got it. I was surrounded by a guy who understood it. And I could, and I was just numb walking to the rink and uh, I'll never forget it. And it was a great game. So yeah, now we're, you know, we're in pandemic times. Uh, the game has changed from a broadcast standpoint, but still get to bring the games, uh, you know, every other night, it seems have a lot of fun, work with some great people and 
and work around an organization that I've really been fortunate to have great relationships from general manager, Brad Trilliving, to the players themselves, to all the coaches that have come and gone. It's been a really, really seamless relationship uh, where there's a lot of trust, but there's a lot of, I understand that you've got a job and, you know, it's, it's just, it's just been a great fit. Well, that was a long-winded answer. No, yeah. So, uh, so you were born. With, I'm joking. So anyway, uh, I, <laughs> I what I find amazing. It was 1973, Trent. Oh, and Sound, Ontario. Went to school uphill both ways. Um, I uh, I'm always amazed about people that because I you know I look at you guys as like you know sports broadcasters and journalists and stuff, but I find the, the bigger umbrella is entertainment, and it's been the same. For a lot of people who are involved in entertainment, like the road is just so unpredictable, right? You take the first step, yeah. the first step opens another door, 15 doors slam in your face, you're lost for a little period of time, another opportunity opens up, you go through that door. Like, it's not for everybody. It's just not. And I've seen a lot of talented people in the comedy world, whether it's in stand-up or in the TV side, who it wasn't a shortage of talent. It's just after a while, they were just tired of getting kicked in the teeth. It's like, I just need something more stable. And, and you couldn't fault them for wanting that. You know, I, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. I totally get it. And, and when I listen to your story, I just, I, the parallels I feel with my own, where it was like one thing led to the next thing, lost for a period of time. And it all comes down to resilience at the end of the day. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I don't have to figure it out, but I trust that I will figure it out. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, there were times, like everybody goes through, like, is this going to happen? Um, and in our ever-changing business where jobs are reduced and, you know, appetites change, um, you, you don't know um, what's going to happen even now, um, this many years in. And uh, it's, the business is, is different now for sure. And it's, it's a challenge. And I think the biggest thing is now, you know, you want to earn it. You want to be entertaining. You want to be informative. You want to have those relationships and that rapport. And you hope that all of those things still matter at the end of the day. You hope because that's what you know. That's what should occur in any job. doesn't matter. Um, yeah. You don't want to just kind of have the rug pulled out from underneath you because of some other reason that's not there. So very, very lucky to have this job. Uh, I've been very, very fortunate. Um to have the opportunities, but yeah, there were times I didn't know. I just didn't. The only thing I think that probably keeps certain guys going, I, I don't want to speak for you, but for me is I don't know what plan B is. And uh, maybe that's what yeah. lights the fire under your ass. Yeah. Well, I think uh, when I was talking to Chris Stig, as we talked about yeah. off, off, off record. Um, and he said when he was growing up, when he was a young kid, a friend of his, his dad said, Chris, what's your backup plan? And he said, I don't have a backup plan. And he said, well, what if you blow at your knee? And he's like, well, I guess I blow up my knee and I figured out after that. But he goes, you know, it sounds foolish and ridiculous. Maybe it wasn't the best thinking, but I think there is something to it of this whole notion of, you know, taking the island and burning the boats because it, it, it does imply you're all in. And for me, I was like, if, if I can just do comedy for a living, I will have made it. I don't know what level I'll get to. That'll be irrelevant. But if I can just do what I love doing, I will have made it. So to me, that was how I measured, but like that was the, the, the metrics for me to measure it. And I, the rest of it, I didn't care about, you know, being on television or whatever. I just like, can I do what I love to do? And if I can do that, then I won, you know? I th- yeah, I do. And it, it, you know, I'm probably like yourself. I have a lot of, uh, 
younger people reach out, either students or people trying to get into the business, whatever it is. And and I now have kind of changed it and said, hey, look, I'm just going to shoot you straight. This business is not what it used to be. There's not a lot of jobs. It's incredibly hard. Not from a standpoint of you not being good enough. There's just not a lot of opportunities. So if there is a plan B, if you thought, hmm, maybe I'll go to law school, go to law school. But if it's something that keeps you up at night and it's all you know and it's all you want, then don't let anybody, including me, tell you don't do it. And I'm sure that's a lot, lot like yourself and myself when we were coming up. That's what we wanted to do regardless. And yeah. uh, it wasn't about yeah. payday. It wasn't about the pats on the back or the stars in your eyes. Um, it was just, I know where I want to be loosely and it's all I want. And Yay. nobody really stood in my way. So I'm not going to try and stand in the way of somebody else yeah. who wants it. It's just, you got to be aware of the challenges now. Exactly. You have to know what, uh, what obstacles to expect. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's like sports, the, the sports analogy I find is, is so true of, you know, talent. Lots of folks got talent. It's just, how much shit can you put up with? You know, that's the, that's what it comes down to. And the folks who can put up with the most will stay in it the longest. The folks who can't yeah. will just eventually go, it's just too much. It's too hard. And again, you can't fault point. them for doing that, you know? So um, yeah. I already feel that for you guys, for you now, because you're so close with the team, Eric Francis was on one of the first episodes I did of this a few years ago. Eric Francis Sorry about was one that. of the, uh, yeah, and I was just, I thought about quitting it after that. Just struggling but, uh, for guests, I guess. At that yeah, point. I was like, hey, 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 you walking by, and it happened to be Eric Francis. You owed him so a few I, bucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Eric. So anyway, he, uh, we, we talked about it. And I said to him, I said, you know, I found it amazing when reporters are in a scrum and they ask a question or they've written something already. And they have to face a player the next day. And I said, you know, how do you approach that? And of course, Eric's like, that's part of the job. Like if I, if I blasted a guy the day before, I almost kind of owe it to that guy to go in the locker room the next day and go, yeah, here I am. It's me. And yeah, but watch you- how many tough pieces he writes when the team hits the road. <laughs> that's your, there's your metrics. I'll barbecue the team just as they're lifting off now. We oh, go. I give that it to him all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be in the room next time, but you're on a 10-day road trip. What are the chances? <laughs> He's no dummy. <laughs> very cagey, very cagey. Um, and you brought it up earlier with your relationship with the team. Like, it's so much of it's got to be about trust because – you're not just with these guys on camera, like you're traveling with these guys, you're seeing them in hotel lobbies and hanging out. And I'm sure these guys are revealing plenty to you and you've got to kind of decide, Hey, I do have some inside scoop stuff, but I don't want to break that trust as well. So do you find yourself always kind of walking that line? Always, always. Um, And maybe you do in your line of work on a different thing. Maybe it's not information, but it's where to straddle the line for humor and offensive Mm -hmm. and good taste versus, Hey, it's a joke. It's the yeah. same with me. Like you've got to walk the line um, and that's okay. That's also keeps you sharp. That also keeps you down. You get sloppy and then somebody's going to get ticked off. Um, yeah. Uh, there's no way around it. I, I know about certain, I've known about certain trades. I've known about certain things that are going to happen. Um, I, I'm very fortunate. Um, and that to me is about the relationship and, and straddling that line. You still got to get on the plane. Right. I do anyhow. Um, at the end of it. And, uh, but the other thing too, is I think, you know, I've been here a long time around the organization a long time. I know where their line is. I know where Sportsnet's line is. I know where mine is. And you got to kind of walk all of them. 
you got to remember we're partners, but you also, have, but I'm also not in the same boat as Eric. Eric, you know, he can take shots regardless if he's right, informed or wrong or whatever it is. He can do that as a columnist. Um, I'm not there. I don't want to be there. I enjoy right. hosting. I enjoy uh, telling stories. I enjoy asking somebody like Eric or somebody like Matthew Kachuk what the story is. I, I like perspective. Go back at him a little bit, offer something because it's funny when I have to ask Eric questions that I already know the answers to and get his, <laughs> you know, or if I know something else is coming down the line and I'm asking him and I won't tell him uh, what's happening, uh, watch him kind of, you know, like a fish <laughs> just trying to figure it out. And right. uh, oh, good point. I'll, I'll watch you get barbecued now by social media for that take. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's kind of fun to puppeteer the whole thing at times. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it is interesting because I I find that <clears throat> sorry that stance incredible for me because I I'm a big sports fan. I've gone to watch March Madness a couple of times when we were allowed to do mm. it, which is just one of the most mind blowing experiences. I mean, I've been watching that tournament since I was a kid, and to be Same. in Lucas Oil, yeah be, to be in Lucas Oil Stadium with seventy six thousand fans watching wow. Kentucky play Wisconsin. And it was the year Kentucky were undefeated going into the, the semi and they lose to Wisconsin. Mm. I mean, I'm like, and but that's when it hit me. I'm like, these are kids. Like I'm home screaming at my TV like, what's he doing? And I realized like that guy's got acne. That guy literally is like he just happens yeah. to be seven feet, but he's literally 17, 18 years of age. And I went, it put it all in perspective, the pressure we put on these kids. We also expect them to speak properly in front of the cameras with a after a tough loss with a microphone in your face. Yeah. And and you realize that dance is very, very tough for the players and how much to reveal and not reveal. And, and but you're the guy who's kind of on the other end of that is like, here's the question. And here we go. Yeah. And I think because I've been with some of these guys, most of them now, well, all of them since they arrived, it's hard with COVID. I don't know some of the newer guys because we're not around them, but some of them, the moment they are drafted, you know, they right. come off the stage and I'll spend the next hour and a half, two hours with them running the gauntlet, doing whatever, talking to them. That's where that, you know, working for the team was so fascinating. So there was a trust right away. You know, I've been with Matthew Kachuk since he walked off the stage, um, right. you know, went to his brother's draft party, you know, you know, know his family really well. Um you know, Keith and Chantel have been great with me and they've been wonderful about access, you know, for the draft. We, I called them up and said, can we mic you up for this stuff? And they're like, no problem. So there's a, there's a, it really still is about relationships. And if you're wondering if where your line is, it's, are you okay? If you can't get back from this one, is it worth right. the hill? Is that the hill you want to die on? Are you going to, you know, piss this person off this person? They have to understand. They don't understand. <laughs> It's a little tricky because you're not going to make everybody happy, but a lot of times some communication with them ahead of time. But also I think the players know I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll ask a tough one when it's time. I won't do it just for the sake of, of going at them. Right. Gotcha. A couple of years back when Glenn Goldson was coaching the team and it was the day of the stick throwing incident when Glenn tossed that one up into the thing. I just happened to Rob Kerr invited me to come down to practice and hang out some shit with Rob and the stick goes wow. up in the stands. Yeah, it was, it was a good, good, good day to be there. Right? I go, is it always this event? That was your fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go, yeah, I think he threw it at me. I don't know. What's the new guy doing here? So anyway, yeah. uh, we, we go down underneath. We got enough bald guys in the stands. <laughs> so we go, we go in the dressing room afterwards. And I remember a couple of guys are getting changed. 
and I look towards the back of the dressing room, and I've never been in the Flames dressing room before, and I see a couple of the guys just kind of peering out and looking. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, those guys are hiding and waiting until everyone's out of the room so they can go back to their lockers. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't realize that that's how it went down. Like, guys are like, not in the mood to talk, don't want to answer any questions. I already know I'm minus 22. I, I, I don't need someone to remind me. And it, it, was, it was interesting. I thought, like, oh, they... They, they give themselves access when they're in the mood to, and other times it's like, I'm going to go hide in the back room. Well, and clear it up. You, know, you know, again, it speaks to the relationship. I mean, when uh, the PR staff who've been here, uh, Sean Kelso and Peter Hanlon, when they go back and say, Hey, I need you. The players are like, I got you. Okay. Yeah. And they, and the, the PR staff won't go to them. You know, Peter Hanlon's best in the business. He's been here like 23 years, won a world cup, Canada, Sidney Crosby in Toronto. And, you know, the best. And so when he yeah. goes back and says, I need you, he's not going back just because it's time you did it and you were, had a bad game. He'll understand, he'll deflect. But then when it's time and says, I need you, they're like, you got it. Right. So it's, it's a pretty good thing there. No players sitting there going, I'm not going out. Screw that. No, they're not doing yeah. that. They're, they may not want to. They may hope that their number doesn't come up and be an ass. But I think Pete does a great job of communicating. You're a big part of the game tonight. <laughs> You know, you, yeah. that was a tough one, or you had that big gaff. Uh, I, I might not use you tonight. I might need you tomorrow at practice. Whatever it is, right. so it's it's there's a science to it. Yeah, not just sure. running around with towels going. <laughs> I'm not going out there. <laughs> I'm still showering. Sorry, guys, putting gel. Yeah, in my oh, I missed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to come out. Um, Dylan Dubé and I were joking a little while ago about the idea of uh, from now on just conducting it in and around the hot tub, just start doing interviews. This is pre COVID <laughs> just, you know, me in the tub and special guest. <laughs> Dylan Dubé stops by, you know, and he comes in and splash, splash. I, yeah. The yeah. James Brown yeah. celebrity hot tub party. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good idea. Everyone's going to go through the hot tub at some point. So you might get <laughs> pretty much everybody, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Bergie is on the podcast too. Was it? You get all the guys, eh? That's oh, great. Buddy, I'm just on a heater here right now. And uh, the thing I found fascinating with the management side of things is, yeah. you know, th these are human beings. And I think we all can, like I said about the March Madness players, the college players, you kind of forget sometimes that these are human beings just playing a sport because there's so much money and so much attention attached to it. And I asked him about the difficulty sometimes when you got to move a guy and, you know, you, you relationships with these people and their families, as you said, with the Kachuk and different things for you, have you ever had it? It's been tough. Have you seen a player go where you're like, ah, that one stings. That's, that's when I, that kind of was close to that guy. I didn't expect it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, when Jerome left, that was a big one. Mm -hmm. um, Francis cried, by the way. Um, <laughs> that's right. I believe that. Um, yeah, no, you know, nothing that's really jumping out. Um, but you do get a chance to see some of them. And I wish I could think of one off the top of my head where it's kind of like, ooh, uh, it happened to my buddy in junior when he got traded. That rocked me. And I took him, we went down to the bus stop together and watched him just drive away on a bus. That, that one rocked me. But at this level, Maybe. no, I don't, I don't, you know, you kind of understand the business side of it. Um, you'll see them again. Um, yeah, there's nothing that really jumps out that way, but certainly, uh, you know, it, it changes the dynamic. It changes, especially if you have a great working relationship with the trend. Like, geez, I'm going to miss that guy because that was good. He was a quote machine, or 
I don't know, maybe somebody golfed with them or what have you, but there's some ones where you're like, ah, yeah. And then you see them again and it's cool. It's great. You know, it's, it's yeah. just fantastic. And you also know, um, for the most part, they're, you're working. It's the working relationships. Um, and you have to keep it that professional. It's not like, uh, your buddy getting shipped. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's definitely one where when you see them again, it's great. And it, sometimes it actually is better because now the walls are down or maybe not better, but it, it allows that professional relationship to grow even further. Cause they're excited to see it. They may see you once or twice. You go into their town, they come to yours, they give you everything they want. You have a great conversation professionally about what it is that's going on, maybe in their lives or on the ice or whatever. So it actually can can work into your professional favor from a standpoint of, hey, you got other guys around the league. You go in LA. Like, for example, I remember uh, Dion Phaneuf. Um, I wasn't overly close with Dion when he was here and got to know him better as he, you know, moved on in his career. And you know, we were, went to his house, uh, last year, um, you know, pre COVID, uh, out to he and, uh, his wife's place and took us out for dinner and, you know, I had a great catch up glass of wine and meal and visited his place. So you get to see another side of these guys when they do yeah. move on and you kind of, you're so in the everyday bubble of what's happening with this group. And it's kind of nice sometimes when you get to see, and they get to see you in other sides of it. Yeah, for sure. You wear a different hat kind of thing. And, and uh, yeah. one of the things I thought, too, like I'm always fascinated by people when they go into a certain career, have they taken certain skills from a previous life and brought it into this career? So for you, obviously, basketball was huge for you. You, you enjoy being a part of team sports. Do you think that's helped you in this career? Do you think that just kind of understanding that mentality of an athlete in general, do you think you've taken anything over with that? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think all of us who did play team sports can apply it in so many different ways. It doesn't matter what your sport was. And I mean, it certainly matters uh, how far you went with it, but you can still apply it even if you didn't play professional sports because you get it a little more. I think if you didn't and you're in this industry, it's a struggle. You don't fully grasp it the same way. And, uh, I, I just think it's such a plus to know and to be a part of a team. And I think that's what television kind of is too. Television is you're just a small part of a big team, as you know. It doesn't matter if you're on stage or you're in your show, you're just a part of it. And you're only as good as either, I don't know, a writer or a producer or a director. It's, it's the same. Um, you may write your own stuff. I may say my own stuff, but it's really, you're just a small part of it. And that's what I love about television. And you, you see egos, but you also, should see people who understand that, that yeah. much like a team, you're just a part of it yep. and uh, you're not the part of it. Yeah, I get it. it it's, I was brought down to earth pretty quickly in my stand-up career. I remember a, a, a bar <laughs> owner or a club manager goes, just so you know, we've got another one of you coming next week. So uh, I don't think. And the week special. after. And yeah. after that is another one. And so you realize quickly, Everyone here is just doing their job. The bartender's serving drinks. The servers are serving them. You do yeah. the comedy. This guy tears the tickets. You're not. Everyone's pulling equally on the rope here. So don't. I agree. You know, so, and I like that, though. Don't you? I like that I because do. I like knowing that we're all together because that creates, a, a, you know, a different type of team environment. And maybe that's where the juice is for me at this level. Um, I knew I wasn't going to play pro sports, but I knew I wanted to be involved in it. And. You know, I think, uh, 
I think that that's where you get a little bit of the juice still. In my stand-up world too, I, I always say like, you're right. Like if the food comes out, if I'm in a club, playing a, a club, if the food comes out late for a bunch of tables or the bartender can't get drinks out in time, I'm less funny. Like people are like, they're pissed off, they're agitated. You know what I mean? But if I'm not having a great night, yeah. the food doesn't taste as well either. And the beer is not as good. You know, so it's all, everyone's job good is point. equally as important, right? Just because I'm in the white doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that my job is the most, is the most important. Um, yeah. And so I've always kind of felt that. And in TV, again, you can't be seen and heard. No one gives a shit what you're saying. So It's true. Mike, We're just one Mike, little switch away from. Exactly. It's like, I go, I always say, keep the sound guy and the camera guy happy. I don't care who else. Always. You, keep that in your back pocket. So always. When, I work, when I worked in a restaurant, I used to always buy the kitchen a jug of beer after uh, my shift. And they would always take care of me. If I forgot to ring something in, they're like, we got you. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about it. I used to grease the, uh, the hostesses and, uh, the, um, uh, geez, I just gone blank on the, on the, the, the guys who would clean up the tables after, um, okay. The busters the guys are busting the table, the busters. That's sorry. I was yeah. just blanking yeah. out, but yeah, give. So the waitresses, I always wanted like, bring me the Americans. They're high maintenance, but they tip, <laughs> keep the euros away. <laughs> it's not factored into their bill thinking mentality. So I want lots of obnoxious Americans who want to spend. And then I just greased the bus boys too, because they just keep it in the turnover and just, it was a well-oiled machine. Yeah. It's a good investment, right? It's a good investment. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. No, it's a, there's an art to all of it. I, I feel the other thing too, like for you and I, cause I did the same thing. I moved from Newfoundland to Calgary in 2003. We now split time between, you know, Halifax and, and, uh, and Calgary and it's six months, six months. And is this willingness to travel, to find opportunity, you know, I'm amazed at mm. the amount of people who, who do want to have a change in their life or career, whatever it is, but they're pretty set on finding it in the town they're in or the province they're in. And I feel like, you know, if you're willing to widen your lens a little bit, there's, there's far more opportunity, but I'm amazed at the amount of people who sometimes are reluctant to do that. But you, you were willing well, to just go like, wherever the thing is, I'm going to go. Yeah. I, and I was forced. I didn't have to go to too many places, but that's the funny thing about roots, you know, and, children and life and that's also what makes you know what you do and what others do so challenging uh in pursuit of it um it, it isn't easy and sometimes you know you start out oh i'm going to yorkton and i'm making eight bucks an hour or whatever it is those things have dried up so where can you know and then then the networks the 24 hours a day seven days a week sports networks so then all of a sudden you know you're global Saskatoons have dried up now. Okay. Well now we're a kid. They're coming out of college. They're being thrust right into an anchor desk. Um, you know, or, or, you know, where do you get your experience from in, in, uh, an industry that has fewer jobs? So the willingness to go somewhere early on, you know, I don't know where those jobs are prior to like when we were growing up, you could go to, I'm going to Prince George for a year or I'm going to, yeah. whatever it is. Yes, you know, there's no, there's none of that anymore. Yeah. So where do you go? You better be willing to go. You better be creative. You better diversify, and you better put yourself out there to get something on the resume. Because, and that's why I loved about when I went down to Eastern Michigan. It was so different than, you know, I was pulling cable, you know, Channel Six, uh, cable, yeah. whatever. You know, I, I just loved that this was something different. It was sports information it was the NCAA. It was, you know, you got to kind of go somewhere to to prove that you can build that resume or, or build that experience level. And 
Yeah, it's sometimes hard though, isn't it? And we know a lot of people uh, in all in both of our walks of life who had to let the dream go because it just didn't add up. Yeah, I think too, diversification you mentioned too is so important. Like I know a lot of folks who work in television, it's like, you know, you, you go into it thinking you're just going to do the one thing and then you realize yeah. the more blades you can pull out of the uh, old army knife there, the more in, the more valuable you are. But you yeah. might not have gone into it with that mindset. You know, totally. Um, yeah, because the last thing you want to be doing, you know, if, is saying, geez, I've been reading off a teleprompter for 15 years. You better branch out. You better have something that transfers into maybe something in, into the industry, but maybe something completely different. I don't know if you and I are going to go and, I don't know, work a bank job, uh, you know, in the next chapter. I don't know. Maybe. I always feel I'm a joke away, Ryan. I'm a joke away from working at a bank, I always say. Right. What? Right. Wrong tweet. I'm a blooper away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like it's uh, it's constantly like for me now. It's like I have in 22 minutes. It's stand up. It's the podcast, and I'm enjoying all three of them. Like I truly am. I get yeah. I get something from all three, which is fantastic for me. But when I first started, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be a stand up through and through. That's all I want to do. But as you keep taking steps forward in this career and you see opportunities, you start walking through these doors because you go, Oh, that's something I wouldn't mind trying. So you do, I think you evolve as well, like as a person mm -hmm. um, and, and certain things start to pique your interest. And then I talked to Chris Versig, obviously for him now to go into the other side of the camera, you know, that, you know, not all the players probably might not have imagined they were going to do that. And suddenly they're like, Oh man. Yeah. I wouldn't mind kicking tires on that and seeing how it works. Well, He's a star and uh, I saw something in him right away. And I selfishly wanted to have him with me in Calgary for good. Of course, I right. uh, was going to be living in Ontario though, but I just saw something and really, he and I had a lot of conversations over the last few years about transitioning into that. And he had to, he had to get the hockey out of his blood. And I said, well, Hey, listen, it, I think when you're ready, make sure before you hang them up, they have to cut the skates off you. Cause that's it. Once they're done. Right. And, uh, but I said, but, and so we went a year or two, maybe thought, oh, I want to play over in Europe. I want to play with my brother. I want to do. Yep. Finally, once it was done, 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 I knew that there was something there. And I think there's more there. I think there's a lot more there. And I think uh, Sportsnet's figuring out that they've got something in him and BXA and a handful of others. And I just think he, uh, he's got that little twinkle in his eye, little devil on his shoulder, little, he's yep. funny, he's quick, he's relatable, he's self-deprecating. I'm glad you had him on. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm glad to see it's going where he and I had talked about and sort of thought it could go. Cause I, I think he's good. And I think there's, you know, he would call me with ideas and say, I like what's going on inside the NBA. Why don't we do that in hockey? Well, you know, why aren't we more personality driven more instead of just breaking yeah. down the period or whatever it is like he's yeah. got big ideas. And I think once he gets his platform and you've seen it on his Instagram, he'll sit there, you know, in the dark talking about why players need to be more fashionable, why Connor McDavid should never be on that late. Uh, you know, all sorts of opinions that, you know, yeah. that I think people are really tuning into. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think he has a passion for it as well. Cause Mm -hmm. One of the things I found amazing about athletes in general is that they they seem to latch onto a career path pretty early in life, but also it drops them mm -hmm. off at such an early age. And you know, there's countless stories of former athletes who now find themselves at you know their late twenties or early thirties. This thing drops them off, and there was no plan B. Maybe they have taken care of their money. Maybe they haven't. 
And that can be a pretty dark place for a lot of players, you know, yeah. as to what you do next. And so you just, you hope the best, especially for the really good people that they find that next thing. And it's also as in, engaging and inspiring as the, as the other thing they were doing before as, as playing every single day. I, I remember Kelly Rudy said to me, and I'm sure he said it to others, but uh, we, one night we were on the road and he just said, I'm, and I was asking about his playing career and broadcast career. He said, I'm simply put, I'm more proud of my broadcast career than I am my playing career. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He the dug in too, and he committed to it. Yeah. And the other thing too is, is, uh, you know, you pick someone who's really proficient in one area and you put them in a brand new world, how it's deer in the headlights all over again, right? Like you can take a player who's played 18 seasons, you put them in front of the camera and go three, two, and you know, like and guys can freeze up because it's a brand new skill set. It's not mm-hmm. always transferable, your knowledge of hockey to now sitting in front of a camera and yeah. relating these things in quick hits. It's, it's a different monster altogether. Yeah, completely. And it's not about just being asked a question and answering. It's about digging in and, uh, you know, having story ideas, having uh, the ability to formulate sentences on the spot, which doesn't matter if you're a hockey player or an accountant, it doesn't matter. That can sometimes be challenging. And when, especially when there's a red light and somebody's saying you're on. So he, uh, you know, there's so many who thrive. Oh, I think I hear my dog barking. And, uh, and so many who, uh, you know, look at it and think, oh, I can do this. And sometimes they can get through it, but the greats are the ones who work hard and, and realize that this is my new career. I'm committing to it the same way yeah. they did as I'm committing to being a player. Yeah. I mean, that discipline to just try and be better every single day. Um, yeah. So currently now, Ryan, are you still traveling with the team? Has that changed? Um, how are things different for you now with this with this new way of doing things? Everything's different now. No travel. Everything's Zoom. Not around the team. Um, sit on a, on the upper level of the saddle dome and and look down. Um, it's it's weird and uh, it's tough because I think it hurts. Certainly, in the big picture, COVID is more than you know. There's people who have it way worse, but in terms of the ability to do your job and and dig out stories and entertain people who are watching, because that's sometimes. All we have right now is, uh, geez, I'm looking forward to the game. And that's really, oh, can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. It's not as bad now as it was, but um, it's a different world. And it, you know, I, I hope we get back to the access we had because you need that. And I believe Gary Bettman believes that. So hopefully uh, when done appropriately and everything hopefully comes back to the way we knew before, we can go back to the access we had before because this this is tough sled and it's tough on the players who need to be able to get out of a hotel after five or six days in Winnipeg and you can't go anywhere you can't be in a you know can't go in each other's rooms you can't it's tough and yeah, yeah. then from our standpoint we can't be around them to kind of have a conversation with them you just on these zooms it nothing happens that it's just not good for the game. Yep. Again, I know there's more pressing issues than the game, but as we're talking about it in context, you need to be able to have the access. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a, it's a weird thing. Also odd how quickly we adjust to things, right? Like, you know, no fans in the building. I remember watching the first couple of games in the bubble last year. And I went, yeah. what is going on? And now you kind of turn it on. And it's weird if you see fans now at a sporting event. You know, I was watching an NBA game the other day and I was like, how do those people get in the building? What the hell is going on there? It was just, yeah. it's weird how quickly we calibrate to it. I hope, uh, yeah, I, yeah, we're dealing with it, but I, it stinks. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's cold in the rink. It's lifeless. Um, you know, players need it. 
Uh, it's time uh, when it's safe to do so to bring them back. You can't, I can't get used to it. I won't either. And yeah. and I know what you're saying though. I know, yeah, we just kind of keep rolling, right? You got to keep, got to yeah. keep bringing the games. Um, and I hope, I hope it changes soon. All right. So biggest, biggest gaff you had live on the air. Describe that scenario. What was the situation? <laughs> I just had one the other night where I was talking about, I don't know if he caught it. I, it blew up, but it actually, yeah. So I was trying to say, I, I don't have many. Uh, I have some pretty fun such little barbs. Such with, a such a pro, just never well, has a never. No, I've just been stuff. really lucky. Uh, but the other night, <laughs> my mouth failed on me. I was trying to say about the physical play has led to success, but I butchered success and just said the physical play leads to sex. <laughs> and I said it, and I went and I looked back. He went success. And Troy Brower was with me. He just kept rolling. He talked about, you know, hard on the body. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) None of it was intended. None of it was, you know, and I just, it was hilarious. Um, (laughs) You know, and it happened on the game. And then that night, uh, we learned Walter Gretzky passes. We learned that uh, Jeff Ward has been relieved of his coaching duties. And Daryl Sutter is uh, coming in. Suddenly my gaff was pushed to way back of the line. So, um, but yeah, that's the only one I've really had uh, that I could think of. Getting pepper sprayed was probably a gaff. Well, there you go. I mean, we've all made choices in life. Um, yeah. We, we uh, when you first got your jobs on television and you, and let's say you get with Sportsnet, did you feel an immense pressure? Did you feel a sense of, man, I, I got to make this work. I got, or did you feel like, no, I'm ready for this next step. Things are, I'm ready to step into this. Or was there a sense of nerves and that anxiety of like, I got to walk into this. I got to make it. Yeah. I, I think when you can put your finger on it, maybe it's like yourself backstage when you're just about to go out. Or I think those are the moments I, I can, not so much like when I was hired or anything, you, you feel it. There's moments, but I still get the, I'm in Montreal. There's people everywhere. There's lights. It's the Mecca of hockey right behind you. You're in the city. Okay, here we go. Or, you know, even still when I know it's coast to coast and Ron's throwing to you and you know, your buddies coast to coast are just going to hammer you if you get, (laughs) if you do something wrong. (laughs) So you still feel like I got to, here we go. I got to be different. I got to do something that isn't just, you know, lineup changes. You want to do something that is going to stand out, something that's going to be good. You think about who is good. You incorporate it all and you think, just want to make good television and uh, not be the story, but um, be a part of it. So yeah, yeah. that's all I try and do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's that sense of caring. I always say to people, again, pulling from the sports background, it's like, it's exactly that before showtime for me. It's like, there's a bit of uh, a little bit of nervousness there, but it's a good nervousness. It's a nervousness yeah. I know I'm going to use in performance. I trust it. But it was the same way when I was playing soccer. You had a big game. I mean, you were—you could feel your body change. You could feel your yeah. temperature go up. It's like you're—you're you're about to do something, and and uh, you learn to embrace it. But I feel bad for people who haven't done it. Like I've watched people come to doing their first set ever, and they're just a bag of nerves. And I'm like, I remember that. I remember that sense of like, oh God, I can't talk, I can't speak. You're terrified, and uh, I don't miss those days at all. Hey, what was it with you and the hair the other day? You had the wigs going. Oh, on your uh, Instagram right. posts, you were yeah, those were hilarious. Those were all the looks, not even all the looks. We've we calculated the other day. We've done almost 140 sketches this season, so it's like wow. 
I have had everything from playing the devil to caveman to, you know, a million. Some of those people. are so funny. I was howling <laughs> looking at them. It's insane. It was great. So, uh, and I think with a little time, I go, man, this is a dream job. Like, I feel very, very lucky and, and grateful. Yeah. And if it all went away tomorrow, I go, man, what a ride. But I, I do wake up every day and feel incredibly grateful. It's the thing I do every morning now, I do a little gratitude practice every morning. I write down three things that I'm grateful for every single day. And That's a good idea. Yeah, it's it just rewires your brain to start thinking about you're always looking for the positive for the rest of the day. You know, yeah. you just start with that mindset and and, uh, and uh, it kind of gives you a lens to look at the rest of the day through. So I uh, I believe in it. I suggest it's it. It's a good approach. Anybody. Yeah. Um, so what are your predictions now, sir? That's what we're going to end on here today. So you go. Daryl's coming in. He's making <laughs> uh, he's going to he's going to sutterize the place. What what do you foresee happening here? What if you were a betting man? Well, first of all, I'm not in the prediction game and I don't gamble, but I will say that he will make sure you will notice the boys play hard. You will notice a significant difference. And I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I think the biggest thing right now is first and foremost, you've got to see some consistency. This group has been so inconsistent. You're going to see some 60 minute efforts, which you haven't seen a lot of. Um, My biggest question is, can this group dig out? Is there enough character? Can they look at themselves in the mirror? And is there enough time for all of it to come together? I don't know if they're making the playoffs. I really don't. Um, but he's got some time now. He's got this year and two more, as we mentioned. So he's got some time, regardless of what happens this year. Will these guys wilt or will they kind of find another gear? It could be a fascinating ride, an interesting story, or it could be start and scratch in the fall. Who knows? I really don't know at this point. I know there's a lot of uh, good, good young men in that room. There really is. I like, I like a lot of those people. I, there isn't a really a bad egg in there. They just got to get on the same page and they got to get on his page to make this thing effective. Cause he can, he's great at writing the ship. You know, he squeezed yep. a lot out of LA Kings that didn't have a lot of offense, but they weren't a lot of fun to play against Went back or won two Stanley cups. So We'll see. I don't want to, you know, he said he's got unfinished business here. And I think it starts with cleaning up a lot of bad habits and making these guys play like the way they think they can. Right. Boy, did I skirt that one. I just avoided oh, that question. Oh, buddy, you were like a guy who just misses that check on the board. You just see it coming and just slide back. Definitely yeah. done. Yeah. Definitely done, Leslie. Well, buddy, thanks for doing this, man. I wanted to have you on for a while. So it's glad you could uh, cover some time there in your day to squeeze us I in. I love it. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I love these things. And uh, maybe I'll get you on one of my platforms. We'll do the same. And we'll, uh, we'll have some laughs and have some fun. Maybe when we get a couple of games under our belt here. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself. Thanks again. Good times. The Maritimes. Good times. Good times.